0: Today, on the first 40 miles, if you want to be a friend of the forest, get to know the flora. We'll share some ways to make your next trip more rich as you get to know the plants that surround you. Then we'll review a new ultra durable refillable lighter. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, you'll learn a Plant Geek approved way to bring forest samples home for further study. All this? And that's about it today on the first 40 miles. I think a lot of people approach plant identification in kind of a uh, a negative way. Maybe the very first plant that you learn to identify is poison ivy, poison oak, stinging nettle. And yet, plant identification can really add to the richness of your experience on the trail.
1: And it's great when you can move on from... Just identifying the harmful plants, the ones that you need to stay away from, and start identifying the other harmless plants that are surrounding you every day.
0: Well, not just harmless, but beneficial plants. There are plants out there that Native Americans have been using for hundreds of years, and there are all these native species that surround us on every trail that we go on.
1: Of course, the task is a little trickier nowadays because there are also a bunch of non-native plants that may surround us on the trails that we hike on. And we try to keep the wilderness areas all pristine and natural, original, but nothing prevents a bird from eating a Himalayan blackberry and flying over a wilderness.
0: Yeah, that is a long flight, though. All the way from the Himalayas to the Northwest.
1: Yeah, well, it happens in little (laughs) pieces at a time, I guess.
0: (laughs) It makes its way vine by vine across the United States.
1: Somehow it made it.
0: Well, I'm not complaining about that invasive species. It's one of my favorite invasive species.
1: In fact, as we talk about plant identification, that's probably the plant we've had the most success with.
0: Yes, in terms of foraging. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Every summer, the blackberries come on, and it's amazing. We can just walk outside and find some on a fence row or out in the woods and start picking.
0: One of the things that surprised me about blackberries is that you never see birds picking at blackberries. Or bears. I'm sure that some of the berries do get eaten by wild animals, but...
1: It seems like there's always plenty left for us whenever we go picking. I, I think about cherry trees, where if you don't put something up to distract the birds, they will literally eat the entire crop off a cherry tree. And they'll do it in a matter of days, right when the cherries ripen, right when you're about to pick them. But blackberries, every time we go out picking, there's an abundance of berries that are fully ripe, even a few that are overripe and have fallen off.
0: Well, one of my friends introduced me to the plantain plant, which is different than the banana looking thing you see in the grocery store. The plantain plant is edible and it grows everywhere. So that's one of those things that once you learn to identify it, and it's a very distinct looking plant, like it's hard to misidentify. Once you can identify that, then it's one of those things that enriches your experience on the trail, even if you don't choose to eat it or use it as a poultice for wounds or whatever, it's identifiable very easily.
1: We talked about foraging and finding plants for food in episode 122, but plant identification is not just for foraging purposes, not just so you can eat plants. They're beneficial in other ways. And even if they're not directly beneficial, like you said, it enriches your experience to know what surrounds you.
0: So if you start to learn about plant identification, is it possible to learn so much that it will actually ruin the backpacking experience or make it feel too much like a school field trip?
1: Hmm. Well, I suppose the practice of identifying plants can take a lot of time. So while you're hiking down the trail, you have to be able to stop and really study a plant. And that takes time out of your hike. And I guess depending on your goals for that backpacking trip, that may or may not be a good thing. But I guess once you've identified a plant and you know what it is, then when you see that plant again in the future, it's just automatic. You see it, you know what it is. The identification becomes just a second nature.
0: Right. When I was growing up, I had a little mint garden behind our house. And now every time I see mint, whether it's in my own yard or in a nursery, it's like Hello there, old friend. I know you. I know your species. I know lots of your other friends, too. So it is a really, um, I guess, comforting feeling when you start to know plants, when you can identify them.
1: So we took the opportunity to try to identify a plant last week. We know a lot of the basics around us. Douglas fir is uh, predominant in the forests here. Uh, We recognize the oaks and the alders and the maples. But we'd like to try our hand at learning more of those trees, more of those plants that we have not yet identified. And the funny thing is, when you don't know what something is, uh, many times you don't even notice it. Uh, Because of the fact that you haven't identified it, it just sort of disappears. You don't even know it's there. But we had an opportunity thrust upon us last (laughs) week (laughs) when we got a flat tire. And so we took it to the tire place to get it fixed. And while we were waiting for a half hour or so, We walked out across the street and sat under a tree, and we thought, hmm, what tree is this? I uh, opened up my phone to the Arbor Day Foundation website, where they have a tree identification app, and it goes through a series of questions. So right off at the beginning, it's helping you to figure out whether it's uh, coniferous or deciduous, or a ginkgo. So if it looks like this, it's a ginkgo, done. (laughs) So great. (laughs) But if it's not a ginkgo, (laughs) then you got to answer a lot more questions. And it was pretty easy to say, yep, it's deciduous. It has leaves that are going to drop off. And, you know, it's a hardwood. It doesn't have cones. It has berry sort of things. They looked kind of like rose hips, maybe. Anyway, so we started down that path asking questions about the shapes of the leaves how the leaves were connected to the stems and the branches, what the bark looked like, what those little berry things looked like, what the berries were like inside if you tried to open them up, the edges of the leaves, the veins in the leaves. And we eventually landed at Cascara buckthorn. Only problem is that plant is not a Cascara buckthorn. I know what a Cascara tree looks like because I was familiar with them growing up. And, of course, I also knew that if I ate the bark from that cascara, there would be bad results. (laughs) It gives you diarrhea. Why
0: would you eat the bark off a random tree?
1: Well, I never did.
0: Well, good.
1: (laughs) But I knew cascara. (laughs) I knew it for a reason. And that tree that we were sitting under last weekend was not a cascara. So, it's really tough sometimes. Of course, we were in an extra tough situation because we were in a town and that tree had been planted there. So, it's really likely that it may not have been a native plant. If we were out in the woods, then I think the chances are better that we would actually be looking at a native plant. And one of the questions near the beginning of that series of questions was Are you in the Eastern US or the Western US? And I picked Western US and I figured that's a I mean, that's half of the country, that's close enough. But this plant could have been from Europe or Asia or who knows where. So admittedly, that made it a little tough on us.
0: Well, one of our goals for this year is to become more familiar with plant life. So for today's top five list, we wanted to share with you the top five ways to become familiar with plant life. And these tips will work if you're on the East Coast, West Coast, Europe, or Asia, it doesn't matter. The very first way to become familiar with plant life is to look at the big picture. You can find out what plants are probably in your area. Native species, native trees.
1: We live in Oregon, so uh, we have found a resource published by the state government that maintains a list of Oregon plants. There's also an extremely long list on Wikipedia specifically a list of native oregon plants so you might not live in oregon but that's fine go find the list of native delaware plants or native massachusetts plants
0: the number two way to become familiar with plant life is to stop sit and study so if you're on the trail one of the great ways to really get to know one specific plant is to sketch it when you sketch a plant you take nothing for granted. You look at every single edge, every node, every bump, how the leaf is connected to the branch. And if the entire plant is too much to sketch, just focus on one leaf. What are the edges of the leaf like? How is it attached? Can you see the veins? Are there injuries or evidence of animal, fungal, or bacterial damage to the leaf? Even if you don't know the name of the plant, It's one that you'll be able to identify if you see it again. And that's one of the important concepts of plant identification, I guess, is that you don't have to know the name of the plant. All you need in the very beginning is just to be able to recognize that plant if you see it again.
1: So I've been thinking about that. Let's say that we're out on a hike and we see a plant and we study it, get to know it really well, and we have no idea what it's called. But further up the trail, we see another of that same plant. And because we studied it well, we know for sure that's the same plant. And on a later hike that we take uh, a month later, we see that plant again. We recognize that plant. We could even give it our own name, I suppose. Yeah. But is there maybe a little feeling of dissatisfaction by not knowing what someone else has labeled that plant?
0: That's an interesting question because there's the Latin name for the plant and then usually a plant has a common name and then in every other language, every single language has their own name for that plant and there's even historical names for plants. Plants were misnamed because people thought they were part of another plant family. And so they have this historical name and then they were renamed as botanists realized, you know, oh, this one is miscategorized. Or sometimes they keep their their wrong name. And I don't know if it really matters other than if you want to know more. So say you see a plant and you're just like, wow, this is really cool. I love the way the leaves are shaped and it smells wonderful. or I love the bark and the texture on it. And maybe you start to wonder what are the properties of this plant or what's the history of the plant that's when you would want to know the actual name of the plant the latin name and then you can do more research on it
1: yeah without knowing the name of the plant you're on your own completely right you could explore and really over an entire lifetime you could figure out what that plant is good for and what it's not good for but if you know what everyone else calls it, then you have access to everyone else's knowledge, pre-existing knowledge about that plant. So that's, that can be very helpful.
0: Well, if you want to stop, sit, and study plants, there are also formal courses of study that you can take, perhaps through your cooperative extension office. Where we live, they offer a master naturalist program where you can learn about some of these native plants.
1: The number three way to become familiar with plant life is to re-hike the same area again and again. In fact, it might even be a boring hike somewhere, and maybe you've done that hike a million times. Maybe it's just in your neighborhood somewhere, and it's where you go walking. Well, there's a way to make it less boring, and that is to start to identify all the plants around you. And so because it's a boring, familiar hike, you're already familiar with where the trail goes, you're already familiar with the scenery, you're maybe getting a little tired and looking for something new, and that something new might be right under your feet and right around you. We talked about our secret family backpacking spot in episode 131 and how we want to explore it more and really get to know the area. And plant life is one of those aspects that we want to explore. On that trail, if you look around in the understory of the forest, there is occasionally one of these trees that flowers with white flowers. It's shorter than all of the trees around, so it's down below the canopy, and maybe every quarter mile or so you see one of those trees, and at a certain time of the year it's flowering. I don't know if it's a dogwood or what. That's one I'd like to figure out, and I'm sure there's a million more just in that little area just that one mile trail that we could spend a lifetime learning about
0: the number four way to become familiar with plant life is to photograph what you see and one of the ways to do that is to use the macro setting on your camera this allows you to get up close with all the parts of the plant Another great thing about photography is that even after the trail, you can study the photos, familiarize yourself with them, and maybe start to notice things that you didn't notice when you first took the picture, like the way that the leaf changes color as it goes from the stem to the branch. Or maybe you'll notice if it's glossy or matte, and you'll be able to put all the pieces of the plant together. You can even share them with a local extension office and see if they know what it is. Also, once you have pictures of a specific plant, you can upload them to different plant ID apps. One of the plant ID apps that I downloaded is called PlantNet, and you're supposed to take a picture of a part or organ of the plant, so a leaf, a flower, or the fruit, And then they also ask that you just photograph wild flora, not stuff from your neighbor's yard. And PlantNet is a free app.
1: There's also the iNaturalist app, also a free app. One of our listeners, Sarah, pointed this app out to us. iNaturalist, I would describe it as like the real world equivalent to Pokemon Go, where instead of finding mythical Pokemon creatures that only exist in virtual reality, you're finding real plants. Uh, so the way it works is you can bring up a map, and you can see pictures that people have taken of plants or animals as well. And you can go to that same spot and see that same plant. Uh, of course, if it's animals, they may have left, <laughs> but plants they they tend to stay put. <laughs> so it's really good that way. Uh, or you can take a picture of a plant, and uh, you'll upload that. It'll be geo referenced and someone else who knows plants may help to identify that plant and tell you what it is
0: and the number five way to become familiar with plant life is to take a sample it's okay there are a couple rules for taking samples you need to make sure that there are multiple plants in the area that you can pick from and you need to just pick what you need So it's kind of the same rule as foraging. Don't wipe out the entire area. Just take what you need and make sure there are other plants there to replenish what you've taken. Time for some name dropping.
1: I know, that's what I was just thinking, (laughs) yeah. My claim to fame in the plant world is that I have a brother who's a botanist. That's super cool. He works at the University of Washington Herbarium and this is what he does for a living. He goes out on backpacking trips and collects plant specimens. As a botanist, he gets really into the science. They're looking for plants that maybe haven't been found yet. So discovering plants that no one knows are there yet. And there's a few tricks they use. Uh, For example, they might have a whole family of plants that they know about and then Based on what they know about science, they can guess that there is this other plant that's part of the family that would share characteristics of a couple other members of that plant family. So then they can actually go look for that plant. No one has found it before, but based on science, they can guess that it could exist somewhere. But my brother Ben goes out on backpacking trips and collects plant specimens from all over the Cascades or down to the San Juan Islands. Uh, I think he's even traveled further east and further south, uh, a pretty large chunk of the U.S., collecting plant specimens. They bring them back to the herbarium and they catalog them there.
0: Yeah, so if you have a plant identification book at your house, look in the back under the uh, contributors and his name could be there. I know in one of the books that we have, he's the photographer for the dandelion.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I had to look high and low for that one.
0: I don't know if he's super proud of that or a little bit sheepish about that, but I think it's pretty awesome.
1: Hey, that says a lot. If your photograph of the dandelion was the best out of the millions of (laughs) photographs, I mean, that's a highly photographed plant. So that says a lot.
0: It's true. So becoming familiar with plant life can really enrich your backpacking experience. Over the last few weeks in our area, we've had some unfortunate fires that have taken out a lot of the plant life. And of course, it's really hard to identify scorched plants. So public service announcement, be careful with fire, especially during the dry season and uh, make sure that we all have flora left that we can all enjoy. For today's Summit Gear review, we'll be reviewing the Exotac Titan Light. The Titan Light is a refillable waterproof lighter with a replaceable flint and wick. The Titan Light is made from aircraft grade aluminum, and it has O-ring seals on the bottom to keep the fuel in and on the top to keep water out. The Titan Light isn't just your average lighter. The Titan light is cut using a CNC cutting machine. CNC stands for computer numerical control. So that means that everything about this lighter is extremely precise. The way the pieces all fit together, the way that it looks, the control that the creator had over every aspect of this lighter, it's incredible what you can do with CNC. For utility, this is a waterproof lighter. It has a lanyard loop at the top. And then when you unscrew the top, the area around the flame has a little wind guard. It's not windproof, but it will be somewhat wind resistant. One nice feature about this lighter is that the lid comes off with a three quarter turn. So it's secure enough to keep the lid on. It's not just gonna unscrew as you're hiking, but it's not so secure that it takes a long time to get the top off.
1: Just to draw a little visual of what this lighter looks like and how it works. You know, think first of all of the those disposable lighters that you get that are plastic. You know, kind of an oval shaped, a uh, couple inches tall. Uh, this is not like those. This one is uh, cylindrical in shape. It's a little bit taller than those. And it has a lid on the top. There's also those uh, Zippo style lighters where it has like a flip top lid and they're kind of rectangular Mm -hmm. this one's not like that either (laughs) cylindrical and then that lid on the top uh, unscrews and like you said it only takes about three quarters of a turn to unscrew the lid to expose the uh, the flint striker and wick and the the spot where you're going to get the flame so you unscrew the lid and after you've unscrewed the lid and removed it then you can strike the flint
0: don't set the microphone on fire oh sorry For mass, the Titan Light weighs 1.6 ounces or 46 grams, and when filled, it weighs almost two ounces. For maintenance, you'll just want to fill this lighter with fluid that's specifically for lighters. It's called lighter fluid, but it's not the same kind of thing that you put on your barbecue, you know, to light the charcoal. What you'll want to get is the Zippo brand or the Ronsonol brand of lighter fluid, specifically for lighters. And then to fill the Titan light, you'll just need to unscrew the bottom.
1: So you turn it upside down first? Yep. Okay. Which is more than three quarters of a turn.
0: Yeah, it's very secure. And then you'll see a bunch of cottony stuff and that's kind of the pre-wick, I guess. So you'll pour the lighter fluid in there until it reaches the top and then screw the lid back on. For investment, the Exotac Titan light is $50 and for trial this lighter is smooth in every way. CNC machined gear is incredibly precise. This is a piece of gear that I would call heirloom gear or legacy gear. It kind of ends that consume and dispose cycle that is just a part of our culture. This is a piece of gear that you could actually pass down to the next generation. It's a beautifully crafted piece of backpacking gear. And everything that I know about Exotac, that's kind of their goal is to create heirloom gear or legacy gear, stuff that isn't just going to be thrown out, but that can be either parts of it can be replaced or um, that the main part will last forever. And then things like the wick and the flint can be easily replaced.
1: What are some other products made by Exotac?
0: Well, Exotac is mostly all about fire stuff but i would say even deeper than that i would define them as an innovative survival gear company they're always trying out new things in fact one of the fun parts on their website is called exotac labs so it's where they post things that they're just kind of testing and trying out so they may be offered for a limited time or maybe they just wanted to test something out and see how the market responds but for the most part exotac sells fire starting stuff. And for those of you who are interested, the Exotac Titan Light is American made.
1: And we'll have a link to the Exotac Titan Light lighter in today's show notes at thefirst40miles.com 149.
0: For today's backpack hack of the week, an ultralight plant press. So when Uncle Ben goes out on his Plant expeditions looking for new species and collecting things to bring back to the herbarium, he brings along a plant press. So, you'll need two pieces of cardboard cut so that rubber bands will fit around them. You'll need several sheets of white tissue paper, and you'll need two to four rubber bands. And these can be rubber bands that you grabbed off of your broccoli. So, cut your cardboard to about five inches by five inches. It can be a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller, depending on what you want. Cut the tissue paper to the same size and then sandwich it in between the two pieces of cardboard. Then wrap the rubber bands around the cardboard to hold everything in place. And there you have it, your ultra-light plant press. In order to use it, you just need to find a leaf, a flower, and put it in between the sheets of tissue paper. The reason why we said white tissue paper is because tissue paper bleeds. So if you have blue tissue paper or red tissue paper, you could end up with a specimen that's dyed blue or red.
1: Tainted. Yeah. Don't Uh, want that. Why is the tissue paper important, though? Why wouldn't you just use a couple pieces of cardboard?
0: Well, one of the things that tissue paper does is it absorbs the moisture and kind of helps it to... uh,
1: To dissipate. Yeah,
0: dissipate. And then also, if you just put a plant in between two pieces of cardboard, there's a chance that it could stick to the cardboard. And so if you have the tissue paper in between, then you can pull it out and kind of gently peel it back or shake it a little bit so that the leaf will separate. And don't store your plant press in a plastic bag. You want it to be able to breathe and to dry out. So you can just stash it in your pack, and then when you get home, you can set it on a windowsill and just check on it after about three days. If you want to hack this hack, then you could even add more pieces of cardboard and more tissue paper to press more plants.
1: So if you try this hack and get some good presses, we'd love to see your photos on Facebook or Twitter.
0: With correct Latin names. Of
1: course. Attached.
0: (laughs) And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, St. Augustine. He said, If you would attain to what you are not yet, you must always be displeased by what you are. For where you are pleased with yourself, there you have remained. Keep adding. Keep walking. Keep advancing. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.
1: don't know what those plants are
0: oh heck harmless beneficial plants oh why did i say oh heck <laughs> and the person you're chatting with is a biologist botanist i'm so sorry <laughs> what's the difference okay a botanologist is that what it is <laughs> <Keep on. laughs> and for today's summit gear review we will show you how to take a sample back, back, back of the week ah, <laughs> and for days
1: review, we will show you how to torch that sand <laughs> torch towel that you took
0: oh.